Well, good morning, fellowship. We are so glad that you're here to worship with us. Would you stand as we celebrate Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life? Through every battle, through every heartbreak, through every circumstance, I believe that you are my fortress, that you are my portion, that you are my hiding place. I believe you are the way, the truth. this morning, believing that his mercies are new, lift up your voice we sing. It's a new horizon, and I'm set on you, and you meet me here today with mercies that are new. All my fears and doubts, they can all come to, because they can't stay long. I'm here with you It's a new horizon And I'm set on Fellowship. It's good to see each of you here this morning. Good morning, Fellowship. And for those of you watching on stream, we are so glad that you've gathered with us for worship this morning. We are excited to kick off our fall. And if you are new to Fellowship, if you're a, a guest or someone who's returned after a time away, we would love to get to know you, get to know your name, get to know your family, and to connect you to our ministries. I'll give you two ways to do that. First, digitally. If you're in the room or on the screen on the stream, you can just zoom in with your camera on your phone to this QR reader, 
and it'll drop down a menu. You can hit that and you can plug in your information. We will follow up for you. If you're in the room, just come out to the foyer. We would love to meet you and say hello and help you get plugged in to fellowship. Hey, I wanna call our church to prayer. It is a big time surge right now with COVID and the pandemic. Our hospitals are full, many are sick, and our healthcare workers are tired. And I just wanna ask you to pray. We're gonna do so in just a minute in our service, but just be praying for that. And our elders have asked that for a while, we're gonna wear masks when we're indoors. We'd ask you to prayerfully consider that. And so thanks for being a good friend to those next to you. Miss Beth, you have a big job transition that happened July 1. For those of you who know Beth, she's ministered to your children, been on our staff for many years. For over 30 years, you've been our elementary. I was 14. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I know for, for Amy and I, you helped raise our kids. And for many out there, you were either a part of the elementary ministry when Miss Beth was leading that, or you're a parent who she partnered with. And we just want to say thank you. You've been a hero to us. And so thank you so much for all your years of service. But she's not going away. She's not going away. Um, Beth is transitioning onto the Bentonville team and will be doing women's ministry in Bentonville. She's joining the community ministry team. And so tell us about what's going on in community ministries. Thank you, Sam. First of all, there's not many people that get to do what they love to do with people they love to do it. And I've gotten to do that for over 30 years, and I'm really, really grateful. And I'm super excited for Matt Archer and Angie Zimmerman and Wendy Hall. They're ready, and they're going to do an amazing job. But I'm super excited as the community on the community team to start connecting people to small and community groups. Do you know, in 1980, Tim and I moved to Bentonville, Arkansas, and we did not know one person in that town. A couple years later, we were invited to a Bible study um, in a home, and they were, this Bible study was praying about starting a church. And in that, in that group, Tim and I found a place to belong. The Arkans, the Cups, the Stockdales, they helped us to start the process of letting God transform our lives through studying scriptures together. Over the years, we've been involved in many groups and so many wonderful people, and many of them have become really close friends. And those friends have prayed, laughed, served, cried, grieved, celebrated with us. And that's the experience we hope that each one of you, each one of you would get to have. If you have never been in a small group, please consider signing up today or this week. You can use the QR code and it will walk you through. Or again, talk to somebody in the foyer. And for several of you, you have stopped going to the community group and just put it on pause. Would you please prayerfully consider joining a small group and letting God's word, God's people help you grow? Thanks, Beth. You know, as we head into small group season, we are going to gather together and do small group. That may be face-to-face -face in a living room. Or it may be face-to-face -face in a backyard or it may be Zoom-to-Zoom -zoom for a time, but we're going to be the church and we're not going to quit. Amen? And so we're going to figure it out. So follow with us. And as things go up and down with the pandemic, we're going to adjust, but we're not going to adjust being the church. And so join us that. Hey, let's start our service this morning with prayer. And would you pray for those who are sick and pray for our healthcare workers? I'll say our prayer for us. Oh, Lord. We pray for the sick in Northwest Arkansas, in Arkansas, and in the world. Lord, we pray for those who are on ventilators, even now, struggling to catch their next breath, and their loved ones who are having to say goodbye. Lord, we pray for their recovery. Lord, we pray for our healthcare workers. They're so tired. Pray that you would give them energy to serve us well. We pray for our hospital administrators to have wisdom to handle the surge. And we pray for this surge to pass quickly, Lord. Lord, I pray for our superintendents of our public schools. 
for our teachers, for our parents, for our kids and our students who start school in just a few days, that you would give us wisdom in how to navigate that and that they could be educated and be loved on this fall. Lord, we pray for our church that we could fulfill our mission amidst our current circumstance. Give us wisdom to do so. And Lord, I pray that you would glorify yourself in this moment like never before. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Light of the world, you step down into darkness. Open my eyes, let me Beauty that made this heart adore you. Hope of a life's been with you. This morning we have the opportunity to fix our eyes on Christ. And Sam is going to teach on the Word of God and how foundational it is to our life, to our faith. This morning, as we prepare our hearts to sing, we want to look to Jesus as the living Word of God. And so would you just take a moment, as you come into this place this morning, would you just take a moment to fix your eyes on Him and to say to Him, Jesus, I am here to worship You, and I'm here. Give me ears to hear what You would have me to learn, teach me to walk in Your Spirit. Just take a moment before we approach His Word with faith to do that. beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made, and in Him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Would you stand and let's sing who that light is. Let's praise the name of Jesus together. So we sing the light of the world. You step down. Light of the world, you step down into darkness. Open my eyes, let me see. Beauty that
rest in the power of his name this morning. Take a moment to thank Jesus for his victory over sin and death. His victory over our sin. Victory over our death. We have hope because of who he is and all he's done. So let's praise his name we sing.
on that truth that he traded his life for ours the king left his throne to pay the price for us a debt that we could not pay we have hope because of Jesus Christ the living word so we turn our eyes to 1 Peter this morning to be encouraged to live a life following hard after Jesus. He says, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Take a moment to reflect on that truth. The word of the Lord endures forever. This is the word that has been preached to you. Though when we travel through this world and we see that all around us is like sinking sand, the word of the Lord remains firm and steadfast. Through all seasons, change. So we look to the word for truth this morning as we see.
We are Fellowship Bible Church. We exist to glorify God as we passionately follow our Savior, Jesus Christ. We are a community of believers led by the Spirit and under the authority of God's Word. We are better together. We grow together. As individuals, we strive to mature in our love for both God and people. As a church, we seek to grow in our health and our reach. We learn together. We study God's Word so that we can know Jesus intimately and follow Him obediently. We worship together. We meet each week shoulder to shoulder to worship the Lord, and then we scatter across Northwest Arkansas to live lives worthy of His name. We gather together. We come together face to face in small groups where we create a space to know the Lord and be known by others. We serve together. Arm in arm, we use our gifts and resources to make a difference locally and globally. We are on mission to love people well. We believe all people matter to God, are created in His image, and are worthy of service. We are Fellowship Bible Church. Together we release spiritual leaders who express the authentic Christ where we live, work, and play. And our hope and prayer is that we would change the heart and soul of Northwest Arkansas and the world. Well, who are we, where are we going, and how will we get there? These are the questions that our teaching series is asking this month about our church. The first question addresses our identity as a church. Who are we? The second question speaks to our vision. Where are we going? And the third question speaks to our strategy. How will we get there? Now, when we ask questions like these about the church, we're actually doing theology. In fact, we're doing ecclesiology, which is the study of the nature and the doctrine of the church. Ecclesiology centers its focus on the essence of the church and how the church is to function as the body of Christ. So what's a church? How would you define church? Well, I've thought about this over the years, and the simplest definition I can come up with of a church is that it is a community of believers led by the Spirit. The church is it's an association or an organization of people who are committed to living for Jesus. We are a group of people who follow the Lord together. We do church together, and that's where our series will take us this month as a church we grow together. We learn together. We worship together, shoulder to shoulder. We gather together, face to face, and we serve together, arm in arm, and together we make disciples, fulfilling our mission. This week, our focus will be on learning together. As a church, we're on a journey to acquire godly knowledge and skill that will help us live lives that bring God the glory that he deserves. The implication is, as followers of Christ, we are lifelong learners. When it comes to acquiring spiritual knowledge, we never graduate. Now, when we learn, we're seeking to acquire knowledge or skill through studying or receiving instruction or experiences. So as a church of body, as we are pursuing spiritual maturity together, John Barclay talked about that last week, we grow together. We're in process. We are literally growing up in the faith together. We are a work in progress, being sanctified each day as we become more and more like Jesus. And there's a part of that process, that progression that involves learning or studying or instruction so that we can grow in our knowledge and understanding of who God is and how we can live for him. You could even say it's a part of our calling. We are called to mature in our spiritual knowledge and our skill. We learn together. And we saw this in the early church. In your Bible, the book of Acts is dedicated to telling the story of the early church. And in Acts chapter 2, 
that early church is described of, of pursuing two things passionately. It says they were devoted to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. They were devoted to learning and being instructed, the apostles' teaching, and they did so together. We learn together. So how do we do that? Well, for our church, there's a hint even in our name. We are Fellowship what church? Fellowship? Very good. You saw it on the sign. The key is right there in our name. We are a Bible church. Our source of revelation for knowing and following Jesus is the Holy Bible. It's the sacred scriptures, the word of God. We are not fellowship political church or fellowship denominational church or fellowship money church or fellowship entertainment church or fellowship special interest church or fellowship activist church. Our church is not built around a personality or a certain family or an influential group of people. We are not defined by who or what we are against. We are here to serve Jesus, the living word, as we follow the written word in the power of the Holy Spirit. The Bible is our foundation and our guide. We believe in a God who speaks, a God who reveals himself, a God who guides and convicts, and we believe the scriptures play a primary role in the Lord's leadership in our lives. The Bible, therefore, is essential to our identity as a church and as, a, as individuals. It's essential to our existence. We do not seek to add to it nor to subtract from it. We will preach it unashamedly and consistently. We don't worship the Bible, but we revere it and seek to obey it with everything we've got. Amen? Fellowship Bible Church. Now let's keep doing some theology. Now let's do some bibliology. When it comes to God's word, as a church, we affirm these three truths. We believe that the Bible is inerrant, that the Bible is infallible, and the Bible is authoritative. Let's take a look at each one. First, the Bible is inerrant. Psalm chapter 12, verse 6 says, The words of the Lord are flawless. Like silver purified in a crucible, like gold refined seven times. We believe the scriptures are perfect, that they are flawless. Like purified silver or gold, there are no imperfections found within. As Proverbs chapter 30 verse 5 says, every word proves true. God cannot lie. He cannot speak falsely. We believe the scriptures are the words of God. Therefore, we believe the words of scripture to be completely true and without error at any point. Dr. Wayne Grudem in his systematic theology, which I highly recommend to have on your shelf. It's a big, impressive book. It will impress your friends and neighbors. He defines inerrancy this way. The scriptures in their original manuscripts do not affirm anything that is contrary to fact. The Bible is always true about everything it talks about. Isn't it so different than us? We contain error. Whether rightly motivated or wrongly motivated, we are not inerrant. I discovered this from one of our pastors who will go unnamed. I was going to do a hospital visit down at Washington Regional and had someone there I wanted to, to pray for and, and visit. And right before I left, I got an email from this pastor to a few of us that said, hey, we've got this lady, I think her name was Betty, I don't want to violate HIPAA, and um, she's in the hospital. And I said, oh, I'm headed that way. I will go visit Betty that gave the hospital Washington Regional and gave the room. So I, I headed down. And I went and visited the first person, and then I made my way to Betty's room, and I knocked on the door, and I didn't know Betty, but there was an elderly lady in there. I said, hey, Miss Betty, and she kind of tilted her head a little bit, but I pressed on. I went on in the room. How you doing, Miss Betty? And a little tilt of the head, and the conversation started to progress to her health condition. How you feeling today? I, I see you didn't eat all your food, or you, you have lost the appetite, and we kept talking, and then I decided to get personal. So how long have you been at fellowship? <laughs> you know, 
have we ever met, you know, that kind of thing. And about five minutes into the conversation, she said, honey, who do you think that I am? <laughs> I realized Miss Betty was at Northwest in Bentonville. And we won't say which pastor sent the wrong email, but his first name is Robert. So I prayed for Miss Betty, and I left awkwardly. We are not inerrant. Whether intentionally or unintentionally, we sometimes speak erroneously. God's word's always true. In fact, it's the source document to which we compare all else to determine truth. How do we know what is true or what is right? Well, we compare it to the Holy Scripture which we believe to be without error, it is the final standard. And from the beginning of time, the truthfulness and the reliability of the word of God has been under assault. So, so go back with me in your minds to Genesis chapters two and three. So we're in the garden. And the man and the woman, Adam and Eve, they're in the garden and God spoke. He gave them his word. He gave them Revelation, And he said, you may eat of any tree in the garden, but you must not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For if you do, you will what? Die. God spoke. He spoke without error. He spoke truth. It was his word. In chapter 3, the serpent enters the story and he assaulted God's word. The very first thing the serpent said is did God really say that you must not eat from any tree of the garden? He questioned the accuracy of God's instruction. He questioned the truthfulness of it. Next, he said to her, you may eat of it. You certainly will not die. It was an all-out assault on God's word. He declared it to be in error. He attempted to invalidate its truth. And unfortunately, that assault on God's word has not ended it's a war waged even to this day in the public square and in the privacy of the human heart. This is why the doctrine of inerrancy is so important. It undergirds the trustworthiness and the reliability of the faith. Because of the doctrine of inerrancy, we can have confidence in the accuracy of the Bible to be what God said and that those words will come true. Think about it. If the scriptures are false at any point, then their reliability at every point comes into question. And if we as human beings can declare portions of Scripture to be in error, then we set ourselves above the very God that we claim to worship. So God's word is inerrant. It is flawless. It's also infallible. When we say that the word of God is infallible, we mean that not only is it error-free, but it's actually impossible for it to err. It never misses the mark because it cannot miss the mark. God's word is incapable of becoming untrue or ineffective. And this, this doctrine is rooted in the very nature of God himself. He is incapable of being mistaken or untrue. Infallibility denies even the possibility of there being an error in scripture. And check this out. This is my favorite part. God's infallible word is unfailing in its effectiveness or its operation. God's word will not fail to accomplish what he intends it to. It has perfect efficacy. Look at Isaiah chapter 55, verses 10 and 11. It says, as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower, bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out or goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. I love these verses. They paint a beautiful picture of the unfailing nature of God's infallible word. Just as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, yielding seed for the sower, bread for the eater, God's word goes forth. He speaks he reveals and his words are effective. They accomplish his will. They fulfill his purposes here on earth. They do not fail. They do not return empty. 
I want to give you a really practical application for the infallibility of Scripture. Give God's word to people freely and abundantly. Be a person who sends forth God's word. It could be as simple as texting someone a scripture who's going through a puzzling time or a a tough time. It could be something as inexpensive as buying someone a Bible. I stand before you today, 27 years in ministry, in part, not in whole, but in part, because someone gave me a Bible as a graduation gift. I actually wasn't offended, even though I was not interested in Jesus at all. I was actually kind of honored that I, for the first time in my life at age 18, had touched a Bible, and I kept it. And I took it to college. I never unwrapped it. It was still in the plastic at the end of my freshman year. And I moved it home, packed it back up, and at the end of my sophomore year, still unpacked, moved it back home. At the beginning of my junior year, at a moment of desperation, I took it down. Someone invited me to a Bible study. I took it to Bible study with me proudly. And the words I read on those pages brought me to the Lord. Buy someone a Bible. Buy them a really expensive one or buy them a cheap one. Buy them a scratch and sniff one or buy them a pop-up Bible. I don't care. Keep Bibles in your car. And as you meet someone, say, hey, can I give you a gift? They may not be offended and it may change their lives. Send people notes with scripture on them. Invite them to church. Share our live streams when the sermons are worthy. Invite people to come to your, that was a joke. Invite people to come, (laughs) invite people to come to your community group or your women's group or your small group and put God's word before them. This is a promise. God will use his word when he wants and how he wants to change people's lives. His word is infallible. So it's inerrant, it's infallible, and lastly, it's authoritative. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, a key text in the scripture theologically, it says, all scripture is God-breathed, or God-inspired, and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. God's word is the ultimate authority. The scriptures have the right to determine or to direct. God's word has jurisdiction over all the earth. His words have authority. They have the right to rule or command. This book contains the inspired God-breathed words from the creator of the universe. He breathed his words into human authors who penned them in their own personality, but they are his words. And because the scriptures are God's words. To disobey or disbelieve the scripture is to disobey God himself. 2 Timothy 3.16 reminds us that God's word is the source document for teaching and for correcting and for training. God reserves the right to determine what is true and he reveals truth through the scriptures. This book determines what is right and what is wrong what is pure or what is impure, what is sinful and what is holy. There is no higher court to appeal to. This is the ultimate standard or source. Now, there are a couple of contemporary thoughts popular in our culture today which actually contradict the authority of God's word. They challenge it. The first one is this, that I decide what is right or true for me. This line of thought believes that truth is relative, that it is subjective, that it is determined inside of each individual, not in an objective source document like the Bible, that truth is formed by each person's context or their upbringing or their community or their opinion. And for these folks, truth can vary. This is called relativism. It teaches that each person gets to decide what is right or wrong for themselves. And the scriptures just don't teach that. A second thought that is contrary to the authority of God's word is that you can't tell me what to do. You've heard this a lot this year. The belief that there is no authority outside of the individual. It's rooted in anarchy, which is a complete rejection 
of all authority. Authority is not a real popular concept right now. The idea of submission or yielding to someone or obedience cuts against the grain. We're good with there being a throne as long as we're the only ones on it. Greg Strand said this regarding the authority of God's word, Gospel Coalition article. He says, many desire to update the Bible to ensure its truth and teachings remain relevant. But to update the scriptures to ensure they speak truth is to step away from the authoritative word. Our scriptures do not need a revision or an upgrade from the culture. On contrary, the culture is in desperate need of a transformative encounter with God's word. I believe the prophet Isaiah 700 years ago spoke these words that would apply perfectly to what we're talking about and these challenges to God's authority. He penned these, Isaiah 45, 18 and 19. For this is what the Lord says. And I note, Lord is capitalized, that means Yahweh. This is what Yahweh says. The great I am. He who created the heavens, he is God. He who fashioned and made the earth, he founded it. He did not create it to be empty, but formed it to be inhabited. He says, I am the Lord and there is no other. I have not spoken in secret from somewhere in a land of darkness. I have not said to Jacob's descendants, seek me in vain. I, the Lord, speak truth. I declare what is right. The Lord declares himself as the almighty, sovereign ruler of all creation. There is none above him. There is none equal to him. And he reserves the right to determine and define what is true, what is right and wrong what the standard is for all people in all places at all times. And he declares his truth to be absolute. And it is objective in an outside source, not within the individual. And it's immutable or unchanging. He is the ultimate authority. So where does that leave us? Well, our job is to discover his will, not to determine it. To submit to his authority, not shake our fist at it. We are called to be obedient servants of our creator, God. His word is inerrant. It is infallible. It is authoritative. Let's take a look at one last verse from the Bible that speaks about the Bible. From our summer study, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, a dynamic verse. It says, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. This is no ordinary book. These are divine words, and they're alive, and they're active. They offer comfort to the afflicted, and they afflict the comfortable. They are dynamic and life-giving. God's word, it's never inadequate. It's never ineffective. It never becomes obsolete or irrelevant. And be careful Interacting with this book, it may change your life. The verse says that God's word cuts to the core of our very being. It penetrates to the depth of our soul like a sharpened sword. It finds its way to the most important parts of our heart to guide and to convict. There's, there's no other book like this one in the world. And you can spend your whole life studying this book and barely scratch the surface Yet the words are simple enough for a child to understand. The richness and the depths of the scripture have challenged even the greatest of scholars. But one phrase can change the sinner's heart. So are you reading it? We're fellowship what church? Bible church. Are you engaging the scriptures on a regular basis? The book that's designed to help you learn more about who God is and how to live for him. I would say that the pursuit of God's word on an individual level, that's us, and on a corporate level, that's us as a church, is essential for who we are. It's one of my favorite parts of our church. We're people of the book. We are a church that pursues the scriptures. We're Bible people. We love all kinds of Bibles. 
NIVs and ESVs and KJVs and other acronyms, the message and audio Bibles and Bible apps and study Bibles and devotional Bibles and FCA Bibles and pop-up Bibles and children's Bibles, leather Bibles and student Bibles, we love them all. And I can promise you, we're gonna preach the word. We're gonna read the word. We're gonna study the word. We're gonna memorize the word. We're gonna meditate on the word so that the word can reveal Jesus to us. We're gonna do so together. In the context of community, we learn together. So what does that look like in real life? Well, I wanna share a story with you this morning of how God's word transformed a man's life in the context of friendship and community. Hear David Welton's story. I just didn't understand how valuable I am and, and what makes me valuable. I was hungry. I, I just didn't see any purpose. I didn't, I didn't have an identity. I was, I was bad at everything, at least in my estimation. At 18, I thought my value proposition was just athlete, football player. I was pretty gifted football player and kind of saw religious people in church as hypocritical, you know, talking like we needed to do one thing, but then living a different way. And so I didn't really understand it. It didn't seem valuable to me. And then uh, God started throwing me what I would call like life rafts. Really the first one would have been Kara. Uh, met Kara in 1995. I could immediately tell she was different. When I met Kara's dad, I found him really different. He was the first person I would say I ever met that lived out the gospel. And of course, at that time when I met him, I didn't recognize that. There was something about Paul that really attracted me to the way that he was living, and I wasn't sure what it was, so I just kind of set out to be a good person. Not long after that, my father-in-law invited me to Tulsa Promise Keepers. This was 2013. And initially I thought, oh, promise keepers, like a bunch of dudes crying. <laughs> Again, the man card deal. But I was, I was just empty. I was sucked dry of life, really saw no purpose in anything. So I was like, all right, I'll do it, you know, whatever. I'll just, again, trying to be good. So I'll just appease my father-in-law. At the Promise Keepers, they had a bookstore and we're walking around the bookstore and I see this advertisement for this book called Journey to the Inner Chamber and on the front it's got like this picture of this uh, galaxy and uh, it caught my eye, I don't know why and, and not coincidentally my father-in-law had just been uh, going through a journey group. I was just, I was hungry, I was searching for something and that caught my eye and not coincidentally my father-in-law was going through this group and it was interesting because I remember asking him, I was like, do you know anything about this book? Oh yeah, I'm going through this group, it's awesome but he couldn't really explain it to me very well. I didn't understand. He said, he started using words that were really foreign to me. Like, so it, it guides you into intimate abiding relationship with Jesus Christ. So I joined this group, uh, saw a bunch of guys, again, not in what I was used to, not being guys. They were being real with each other. They were talking about things they were struggling with. They were using words like intimate and abiding relationship uh, with Jesus Christ. They were talking about personal abandonment and absolute trust, and I'd never heard of those things before. At least if I had, I wasn't listening. Uh, and so God had gotten my attention through uh, all these mistakes I'd made and, and failures in my life. And so I started uh, seeking Him uh, through those groups. Those groups uh, helped me start to recognize that I didn't really have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I had certainly knew who he was. Uh, and in my words, I was putting his jersey on on Sunday, cheering for him, and then the rest of the week just doing whatever I wanted to do, trying to be a man as, as what the world would measure as a, as a man. He really uncovered to me how valuable I am just because he loves, his love is so valuable. And he continued to point me towards his love. I mean, like his love for, for me and for us, that's my value proposition. So through that group, he showed me uh, who I am through starting to understand who he is. 
Life became a ministry to me when I started to finally understand that value proposition that the gospel gives us and affords us and makes us. Life's not like a, um, you just kind of skate through and then hopefully you end up being a good person and they can put, yeah, this guy died a good person, slap that on your gravestone. My purpose, our purpose, every one of our purposes is to have an, an abiding, intimate relationship with our living God. did you hear it? We learn together. There's just something special that happens when we get in the room face to face with other people and we study the scriptures. The psalmist said this, blessed is the one who does not walk in the step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. It's really important who you hang out with, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. Well, what happens? Well, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Who are we? Where are we going? And how will we get there? Who are we? We're Fellowship Bible Church. Where are we going? We're growing up in the faith together. And how will we get there? We're going to get in small groups and we're going to study God's word. I'm going to make our application this morning really easy for you. It's August. so That means we're going to invite you to a whole bunch of stuff over the course of this month. I'm going to give you just two this morning. We are going to study beginning September 12th, the book of 1 Timothy corporately together. We're going to preach to you 1 Timothy but we're also going to study it in small groups. So if you're in a community group, we invite you to join us on the journey. And we are producing journals. These will arrive within the next couple of weeks and be on sale out there. This one's different than the last two we've gone through. This is an inductive Bible study. So we're going to teach you personal Bible study method, making observations, interpretations, and applications. So you can study the Bible and then come to your group and discuss the Bible. Nick Rowland's actually going to do a class to teach you how to do that as a group. And so you can pick these up and study together. Within the guide, there will also be devotional passages for you to study each week as an individual. So I would highly encourage you to join us there. Secondly, we've got a training center ministry here at Fellowship. It's based in instruction and knowledge and skill. And we've got four classes for you to sign up for this year. Uh, the first class is called Panorama of the Bible. It's a survey of the entire biblical history um, from Genesis through Revelation. You can take that class. Secondly, Bible study two. These are for like the dudes. This is an intro. This is second level. And so you can take Bible study two, studying the book of 1 Timothy then we have a theology class, a doctrine class, we believe. Lastly, we have a financial wisdom class called Align. These all start September 12th. Signups are live now, and you can sign up for those. So here's what we're trying to do. Pretend like we're playing t-ball. We're putting the ball on the tee. We're giving you the bat and giving you an opportunity to hit a home run when it comes to interacting with God's word in your life. That's our challenge this fall. Be people of the book. Would you pray with me? Oh, Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for preserving it through the ages for us. We recognize that it is perfect and it is authoritative in our lives. Lord, I pray that each one of us would pursue your word and that you would change our hearts through it. And Lord, give us wisdom how to do that safely in the best way this fall. Lord, we as a church, we want to bring you glory and make your name famous. So I pray that you would do that in us and through us this fall. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, would you stand with us? Let's affirm God's word. And we will stand on your promises. They will not be
declare that together we see that we will stand on your promises they will not be that follows hard after God, living, walking by the Spirit and following His Word. If you'd like prayer this morning, we have the Thompsons in the prayer room. They'd love to pray with you and over you. Would you go in peace this week, fellowship?